and welcome to this week's episode of the Tapping Up podcast with myself, Daryl, and as always, Ian. Um, positivity again flowing, and at this point now, it's so positive that I can't be beating up pool. Um, it seems like I'm going to have to take it up professionally because having been battered for the last God knows how many weeks before that, you know, on a four week game, uh, four week win streak, uh, Ian looks as dejected as he possibly can be. He makes me smile every time. Uh, are you just going to give up the sport soon? No, not in the slightest. Um, got lucky today again. I feel I didn't pop did the black. I? Uh, I didn't pop the white off the black that I did last week. Um, letting you have you. I feel like you need a little bump in your life of leads. So uh, I'm letting you take take a few wins before I uh, steal your soul again. It's literally the only support uh, support only sport that I'm enjoying at the moment, and it's the only one that I'm actually technically playing at the moment. Even if it is just in a pub. We met. It still counts to me. It's the only thing that's given me joy. And even then, they fucked it, haven't they? The fucking <laughs> the booze that we go to. They tried to get all clever and add fucking card payments, and uh, so you can pay on pool for, for card now. Used One pound fifty a game. Like used to be like two quid for two games. Last week we put three quid in and it registered One pound twenty. So you <laughs> give that one game. Just people have to tamper with shit, mate, and they just fuck it up. I don't get it. But you're not not bitter at all. Um, you didn't get beat um, up by any school kids on your way home, despite uh, threats of uh, alleged muggings from school children in our area of neck of the woods. Which I just think would be hilarious, if I'm honest with you. Yeah, we we got uh, so me and Ian got a warning today, um, basically saying that a lot of uh, school children in the local school have apparently been rivaling other schools to try and mug more people than the other schools. Um, it's just the idea of like some little kids coming up to you and saying, give me your wallet. As I said to you at the time, and I'd say again, I welcome any kids from that grammar, grammar school as well to come and try and mug us. Um, Out nerd you to try and get your money. Fucking children is the day <laughs> that I just end it like there's, there's just it i can't i mean getting mugged by a gang of actual men is one thing getting get mugged by a gang of school children is uh feels like it would just be funny we were saying it that your pride i mean it wouldn't be funny would it for you because you'd be like I, my pride literally cannot take that and not only have i been mugged i've been mugged by someone who's probably about a quarter of my age um and it, there's just no going on from that, is there? You can't talk to your mates ever again because it's like, ah, oh, shut up, you get beaten up by kids. Only if you actually got mugged. I mean, you, you, as I said to you, that's the thing with school kids. You lay one out, they're going to scatter, aren't they? And then just... Uh, Speaking next, from experience. You know, the ironic is, the next thing is, they'll probably be filming it anyway because they're morons <laughs> and they're filming a crime, it seems, uh, the younger generation these days. Next thing is, they're going to their parents. Look at that thing one man they... beat up so <laughs> like... Yeah, were... because they were trying to take my shit. Did you have happy slapping when you were a kid? Um, Did you have no. mobile phones when you were a kid? I didn't have mobile phones until I was 18. <laughs> mobile phones weren't out when I was a kid. Because it, did they exist? What, they, what, what the equivalent when I was a kid was uh, you'd been tangoed, which you probably don't remember the advert. Yeah, you slap like that. You slap around the face. Back yeah. the face. That, that was what, uh, in, in my, back in my day... Uh, long, long ago, that was what the uh, equivalent of a, I think that's what happy slapping is, isn't it? Basically, but they just film you doing it. Is that right? Yeah, the, they were. I think they called it happy slapping, and they're another one that were Bible bashing. So happy slapping was you recorded 
someone running up to someone, slapping someone, and Bible bashing where you recorded someone randomly hitting someone around the back of an head with a Bible. Now, I don't know where kids were getting Bibles from. That seems a lot of planning to try and make these videos. But yeah, I remember that when I was younger. And a bit suspicious if you see someone walking down the street who doesn't look like a churchgoer carrying some little fucking scruffy youth carrying a Bible. I'd be like, I know what's coming here. I'm not fucking stupid. But, um... An A4 hardback Bible. Just be like, oh, what are you doing? Just reading Nothing, scriptures. Just, no, just doing some reading. Yeah, just, just doing some prayers. Do, uh, doing some Psalms. But um, <laughs> I don't know. Weird. Weird. Um, it's good to hear that you haven't been beat up by any school kids. Um, Zahujo, however, getting straight into it, did get beaten up by a fairly small man in stature, I suppose. That's my did segue for this up? week. I mean, it was, it, was, it was pretty close, wasn't it? It was a very yeah. close fight. I did give it to Sterling. I don't think it was... Um particularly controversial nor was it anywhere near uh, a robbery um but it was pretty close i wouldn't say i'll be honest with you i actually found the after fight little face off when they got sugar shane in more entertaining than the fight itself <laughs> i like his jacket or his new jacket his former jacket because uh <laughs> Dash really stole it didn't he so uh, just put it on and look like this Little, I tell you what, he looks like you look when you were at pool, a smug little bastard in the background, just in the while they're all kicking off. He just puts his jacket on, looking like a smug little bastard in the background, doesn't he? Oh, that was that was funny. Um, I think Dana came out afterwards and admitted it wasn't his best idea he'd ever had in terms of letting um, that happen, and I suppose facilitating the face off, which I get from a PR and fight building perspective, but. What do you expect? Two trained fighters, one guy who's ramped up purely after winning, you know, a five-round decision fight. What do you expect? That they're going to have a little hug and a cuddle and be, can't wait to see you in the octagon. I think it, it, it's a danger whenever you do that. And it easily, could. I mean, look at ones before where you've had like Khabib and Connor, for example, where it escalated, you know, properly. People getting fucking proper beating up, people jumping out the cage. Like, it, it's... I'm surprised they still do that these days. As you say, it, it definitely isn't a great idea. Um, and there's plenty of time to build the fight after that. And I'll be honest, I feel a bit sorry for someone like Sterling, who's put in a very good performance. You know, he is knackered. He's ramped up off his, off his face with adrenaline from the victory. And then suddenly has someone coming, gobbing off next to him. You can see how it could escalate easily. You know, these are not, they're trained professional fighters what what do you expect to happen if you're going to let that or even facilitate yeah get in the cage with him after and you haven't even given him a heads up or a, a, a warning um i get to, I, I can see how someone like sterling would be a bit pissed off with that feels a bit disrespectful as well yeah he's probably there sort of with dana's ideas i'd say third ranked probably behind um the slap championship and slapping his wife um not not his finest moments, but um, yeah. I mean, what, like you say, what would you expect? Yeah, it, it, I just it see. I mean, it's the same. I mean, boxing. To be fair, you do get it. It seems certainly more common in boxing where they will have a fight and then they'll bring up the next contender or one of the other belt holders, whatever ringside, and that rarely kicks off to them. So that, that seems again. I think they get a heads up. They they probably as well from the fighter's point of view because of the ring. It's easier to see. You see that person. You know, when they're ringside and you think, well, oh, fucking Nobby is going to come in the ring and give me some shit afterwards. Whereas 
if you were in the cage in the octagon, you know, you could see how you're not going to have seen someone unless they're literally the front row. And even then, because of the cage, it does act as far more of a barrier to, to your vision outside of that. So it feels like a bit more of a, a it's been sprung on the fighter rather than perhaps boxing where it's probably pretty obvious or it might even be prearranged. Look, by the way, Fury, we're going to bring Usyk in after the fight, you know, build that like that. I think in boxing, it would probably be done as a, a more of a pre-agreed move rather than kept a little bit off the cuff. Like I certainly don't think Sturt, I'm sure O'Malley had probably said, can I do this? Or Dana, Dana had said to him, are you going to do this? I bet Sterling didn't know. And I think that's why you kind of get that more spiky reaction is it's not known by the fighters it's, it's coming. Do you know the solution to that? Do you know like in wrestling where let's say someone's just won WWE Championship and they're celebrating and all of a sudden music comes on and like it's a glass shattering and Stone Cold Steve Austin walks down and he's like right I'm gonna fuck you up. Have that. So have everyone with entrance music but like unique entrance music and you I can hate have, to like... break it to you but one I don't watch fake bullshit sports too it's like the, Euro... <laughs> the, 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 the WWE might be more scripted than like Neighbours or no, never. they all know what the fuck is coming with that shit that shit is not in remote anyway surprise like they're told before oh by the way we're then going to bring in Ric Flair and it'll go like the lights will go out and everyone will start going woo and then like <laughs> Act surprise. I mean, let's be fair. They're not the best actors, are they, wrestlers? But they put on that surprised face of, "Oh, didn't expect to see him coming," and then walking from a mile away down into the ring with a steel chair in his hand. Or yeah. just get oh, people with steel that, chairs. That, a steel chair made out of tin foil. <laughs> they are. Like, are they like bin lids? They used to have them, and they're just like they look like they're made out of tin foil. Little baking trays. One they used to have. Um loads of issues with the chairs that they used because some of them, I mean, they, they were all slightly softer, but obviously if you hit someone with a lip of a, any sort of steel, even if it's slightly soft, you're going to mark them. And I remember, I don't know if this is past your time when you'd have watched it. Do you know who JBL is? No. So he were a wrestler when I were a bit younger, about sort of 2004-ish. And I remember him being allegedly a bully backstage and he hit someone with a the lip of one of the chairs, just bust his head open, this guy, I think it was called Blue Meanie. Um, yeah, and there were loads of people that tried to give him receipts afterwards, but we digress. Basically, get them to have entrance music. Even if they didn't see it coming, they'd hear it coming. They'd be like, right, where's this prick? And turn around and look for him. And see so-and-so trying to run down into the cage. <laughs> Cash in money I and bank. Definitely shouldn't give him a steel chair in MMA where it's real. That wouldn't be a sensible uh, call. Be more entertaining though. Um, the co main event then. So, Bilal, funnily enough, considering I've never got any of these predictions right, Bilal gets the second prediction that I got correct of last week's show and uh, won uh, a fairly one sided decision, if we're honest. Oh, completely lopsided. Like, it was probably the most one sided fight I've seen in a long time. Um, very, I mean, Mahal is very impressive. And um, you can't underestimate. I saw a few pieces in the, the build-up to it. He was saying, "If I don't get the respect, I don't get the title fight. People are just hating on me." He's not got a particularly uh, exciting or fan-friendly sort of style to watch, but he is incredibly durable, uh, incredible gas tank, very well-rounded. I mean, I was I was very impressed with his kicks. Got to be honest, he was kicking the fuck out of the body of, of Gilbert Burns, and um, 
he's a bad matchup for Leon. I think he, he we, we, we said before that the UFC the doesn't seem to want to kind of digress from this path of uh, Edwards Colby for the next fight, uh, for the title fight. That seems to be, um, it hasn't been announced yet, but definitely seems to be happening. Um, but Bilal, I think, is certainly the next contender after that, I would say. Yeah, and I don't disagree. I think he would be a bad matchup for him. Um, that's obviously if he does come through Colby, which there's still the uh, question mark over that, and if that fight ever happens, because it seems to be one of the worst-kept secrets in UFC at the moment, but doesn't actually seem to have been organised yet. Um, so we'll see with that. But yeah, I, I think Bilal is one of those who people sleep on quite often just because his fights aren't necessary, uh, necessarily entertaining. You're not going to be like... Gagey, for example, if you tune into a Gagey fight, you know what you're going to get and you're going to be entertained regardless. This is someone, so Bilal is someone who will go out and win a fight comfortably, but will, you know, very easily ground grind down his opponent without doing anything flashy, essentially. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I thought his, it, it, I liked his, did you see his, uh, his uh, post-fight interview, which was, this was on, so... He was always on the main uh, car, the co-main event. I can't remember who fell away in terms of injury, who he was supposed to be fighting. But Burns uh, stepped up at late notice, didn't he? Um, so, I mean, again, it's an opponent switch, even though Bilal had been in, in camp. You know, you're getting a completely different style of fighter, a, a different opponent, a different puzzle to face. And he said after the fight, give me six weeks, I'll be anywhere away in the world. Give me a full training camp, I could beat John Jones which I thought was probably a little bit of a stretch, but um, good confidence from the man. A um, couple of weird points, I thought, uh, that, that jumped out at that one for me. So Bilal is American-Palestinian. I think he was born in Palestine or has Palestinian parents, but basically born and raised in as an American citizen. Fighting Gilbert Burns, one of the most un-Brazilian names you've ever heard. And the crowd were booing Bilal, but cheering Burns before the fight, <laughs> which was, was a strange one. Um, I also thought that uh, Jorinho lived up to his nickname. Any idea, or do you see this, what uh, Jorinho, which is Gilbert Burns' nickname, means? No, go on. Brazilian for little tough one, apparently, is what it means. And he proved that in the fight because there was clearly something wrong after the first round. He looked very dejected, like mentally beaten in between the rounds. And he, he, he kept shaking out his left elbow and his shoulder. And he clearly had injured it or had a, some problem going into the fight with it. And it took a few days. But what did come out was the extent of his injuries, which I think was yesterday. So I've got it here. I'd make a note because they were so severe. He had a second to, th- second to third grade AC tear. Uh, so that's in his knee, uh, his uh, AC, uh, a dilatory tear in his shoulder, a torn muscle in his trap and C4 and C5 neck sprains, which are discs, I think, where they are in your back. It uh, doesn't need any surgery, but clearly quite bad injuries to carry on for a fight. And to last five rounds against somebody like Bilal was uh, a statement of his toughness, even if he lost. Yeah, it, I mean, he's an impressive, impressive fighter. He uh, obviously came off the back of uh, Masvidal um, fairly recently as well. And he, he's no pushover, is Burns. It's just that Bilal is that type of matchup where I don't think many people 
will see him as a good matchup for him. Um, he's that type of fighter that you probably want to avoid, not because you think you're going to get your head kicked in, but because he's a very difficult opponent to beat. He's very uh, Karal Usman-esque uh, back before Usman suddenly sort of stepped up for the title and started knocking people out that nobody wanted to fight him. You just knew what you were going to get. He was going to grind you out over a decision. The chance of him finishing you was probably pretty small, but the chance of him beating you was incredibly high. And I think Bilal is very similar to that, that he seems to be putting his striking together uh, and becoming a bit more rounded. But he's one of those people that, because he's just not, as you say, particularly exciting, at the end of the day, UFC, as much as you get purists like maybe me and you that appreciate some of the different aspects more than than, than the casual fans, Gagey, everyone's going to rather watch Gagey win uh, or fight, even with his record not being quite so impressive than watch someone like Bilal. Yeah, um, and it'd be interesting to see what happens next, as you say, and it does seem to be Colby Edwards is sort of locked in without anything official, but it'd be interesting to see if Bilal might just worm his way in there beforehand. I think it's very unlikely, don't get me wrong, I think it would probably set to face that, but when you've got a fighter who is just sort of very easily winning these fights, it's very difficult to ignore him. And it might be as simple as just giving him the winner of of Colby and, and Edwards, but um, it can't be too far away from a title shot now. Definitely not. And again, it could either be that the way it could pan out, he could either be uh, the um, sort of replacement for that title fight when that does happen. So if either fighter gets injured and... Um, you know, it has to fall away. He can step straight in. Equally, if there was a, an injury to happen before that fight was announced, let's say, for example, Edwards um, gets crocked in training, you wouldn't. That's exactly where the UFC bringing him. I, I, I'm not a big fan of this, but they do tend to do it. That's where they'd suddenly bring an interim and they'd say, right, Colby Bilal for the interim title, winner of that, then takes on Edwards when he's back from injury. So um, he's de- he, he can't be far away. It's got to only be, as you say, if it's not Colby, he's got to be next, you would think. Um, and as you say, but we know what Dane is like. You know, what Dane says don't really happen. And as you say, Colby could fall out of favour. He can always say the wrong thing and easily put his foot in things at the wrong moment. And the UFC could punt him down the road and put Palau against Edwards next. Uh, before we talk about some other matters, because I know you, you've got a few things you want to talk about, which aren't necessarily UFC and got a little bit of criticism, haven't we, recently for only talking or focusing heavily on, on USC in, in terms of MMA. Um, did you see the trailer for uh, the um, Ultimate Fighter? Uh, is it 31 with McGregor and Chandler? I did not. So is it not already on TV, the actual series, but they still haven't announced the fight, have they? Or is, is it not even aired yet, then, the actual series? I thought no, the series... it's... it's... Not started yet, so it debuts on the 30th of May on, I think, it's ESPN over there. So I don't know how we'll watch. Well, well, I'm sure there'll be ways to, to watch it, um, uh, which obviously we can't go into legally. But, um, yeah, it's, I think the season finale is August 15th. So it's it's got a few months runtime. There's nothing officially announced in terms of mcgregor chandler itself which i'm sure it's coming and i know that we've already previously gone into how the format of the ultimate fighter works um which i can't remember what episode it was but you explained it quite quite well um 
the trail is fairly short. It just shows McGregor pushing Chandler in the face, essentially. So he's gone from nice guy McGregor back to his old ways. Yeah, and if you get again, if you you spend long enough with McGregor, he's going to do something like that, isn't he? Like, um, so I'm sure there's he's an entertainer. Uh, I'm sure that will be uh, probably one of the most watched uh, series of the Ultimate Fire. I mean, he has been on it before, uh, McGregor. He was opposite. Um, what's the guy called? Forget the guy. Um, long You're on hair. the spot, yeah. Uh, I can't remember the fucking guy's name. At featherweight. Forget his name. McGregor called him and he's called Mendez. He's trained with Mendez. Runs the runner owns Alpha Male. Uriah Faber. Uriah Faber. Well played, yeah. Well, Uriah Faber. Uh, I believe that was who he was up against. And then he actually never fought Faber. Um, oh. <laughs> and then yeah, it was one of those where some. That, this is one of the the problems that <clears throat> the Ultimate Fighter has in the more recent seasons, before long before it was started which was that they put these fights together afterwards like they have now like Chandler and McGregor. They filmed the season, the series, and then they haven't even announced it yet. It used to be that then the fight, they would have film it, they would announce the card, and it would be then, right, you watch through the TV series, maybe a week later after it finished would be the final card. You'd have the headliner of the two coaches fighting, and then obviously you'd get the winners of, it would usually be, back in the day, two weight brackets. So each coach would have two weight classes effectively in the UFC so you'd get two you know finals so you'd have an ultimate fighter they might do welterweights and bantamweights one year one year heavyweights and so and so uh but yeah in later years they seem to pre-record it put it on and then arrange the fight between the coaches at a later date or it's not on the card that the rest of them are fighting on which seems a bit silly to me but the old format was definitely better I'll definitely have a look at that because I'm not. Sh- I'm sure it's so it's airing. I'm not sure if it's fully filmed at this point. Um, so don't. I'm sure it wrapped a while back. I'm sure because they they were talking about. It. I'm sure it finished filming say two or three weeks ago. So I, I think it's fully done. All the you know all the fights have happened. If you know what I mean. So they know who the two winners, or, you know, or at least the the two uh, finalists uh, will be, and it will just be obviously won't be announced. Uh, otherwise, it spoils the season until the end of the season. And then the card is usually, say, a week, two weeks after the, the finale episode airs. He's not... Again, you can correct me if I'm wrong here. I don't think he has re-entered the testing pool yet, has he? I think there's still quite a big thing about that. Which you're supposed to have a minimum of six months, but there are always exceptions to these things. And McGregor is the UFC's biggest exception. So they will undoubtedly bend the rules for him. Um, I can't see him waiting another six months before that fight is put out. I, I, I think that I, if I had to guess, if you're saying that the card is set for, for April, uh, sorry, August, I wouldn't be surprised to see that, say, late September, October, maybe. I, I kind of thought that we might be looking at it at um, 290, because isn't that... Is that Vegas week or whatever you call That's it? Fight week. 290 is, two, uh, 290 is International Fight Week. And they tend to usually put on a pretty good card then. They always have it in Vegas. And they tend to have a, a pretty big card to celebrate, as you say. I mean, there's a fucking international day or week of every fucking bullshit these days, isn't there? But yeah, they have International Fight Week. At, I'm sure that's at some week in July. Maybe like the second week in July. Certainly in July. And the UFC tends to do... 
one of its best cards. Super Bowl is, is always a big card, which is usually um, around sort of start of February. Uh, trip, uh, fight week is usually a big one. And then obviously the other reasons that it, where, when and when it crops up is the centennial cards. They always go big on. So we're at two, um, 288 has just happened. So we're not a million miles off. Probably in early 24, we'll hit UFC 300. And I would imagine they'll do a massive card for that. Just on that then, and we won't spend too much time on it because it has only just been announced and it's still um, months away. So we're talking, I think, 9th of July. Uh, so it would coincide with that second week in July. So the 290 card uh, was announced and uh, Volk is taking on Rodriguez, which we kind of knew would happen um, sooner or later. the featherweight title. Correct. In- Rodriguez is interim, didn't he won it because Volk was stepping up to fight uh, Islam and is the actual champ. So that's one of these bullshit interims, but that'll be a good scrap. Looking, I think Volk wins that pretty easily, if I'm honest yeah. with you, but looking forward to I, that. There's not many people that I don't think Volk beats. Um, he's, he's one of those that is sort of different level to the majority of people, if not all the people in his division. Um, Co-main event, uh, you've got Moreno taking on Pantoja for the flyweight title. Decent enough scrap, quite like Moreno. So he's been uh, obviously involved in the first ever quadrilogy against uh, Figgy. Uh, we talked about uh, before and bro- broke down a few of those fights. But um, I think that is, again, also one, is it not where um, the, ch- the the fighter, I won't try and pronounce his name, you just said, is the clear number one if Figgy is going to move up? Because he said he was going to move up, didn't he, after the last fight. So I think that is a genuine champion versus one in the rankings, if I'm not wrong. So it's interesting that you should say that because he's not, he's technically number two for that reason. Figueredo is actually on the card against... Um, um, uh, uh, Flyway. Yeah. Is he? So, I mean, because do you remember, he, he, he was the he one... He did say we're moving up, yeah. They did the overdramatic following somebody else on the card retired, didn't they? And as is common for fighters these days, they take off their gloves and lay them down in the centre of the ring. And he did the same. And everyone's like, what? You're retiring? He's like, I'm retiring from the flyweight division. (laughs) Sneaky little rat. So, and then he is back in the flyweight. So that's what a load of bullshit that is. Manal Cape from Portugal, ranked number nine. Is who he's fighting? Quite a big differential then in the rankings there between those two uh and other just other notable ones and again we won't spend too uh, long on it uh, you've got dan hooker lightweight taking on jaleen turner uh robert whitaker uh is uh, fighting duplicis uh, middleweight and then interestingly um i'm pretty sure i saw it yeah there bo nickel is fighting gore at middleweight Sleeper there has got to be Whitaker. I mean, again, yeah. sadly he dropped off a bit, but was a was a fantastic champion until he ran into Izzy. Um, and um, Duplessis had been rumoured as being the next challenger for uh, Adesanya as well. So um, I think feel that it's a big step up in competition for him, and that's probably his audition. That um, I think, um, if I'm not mistaken. I might be wrong here, but has Whitaker not lost not lost, lost twice to Adesanya? So it's hard to build a trilogy fight for that when you're 2-0 down. Whereas Duplicis, if he wins that, that would clearly make him, I would have thought, the next probably challenger for Adesanya's uh, middleweight title, I would have thought. 
Yeah, and just on announcements as well, because Dana decided to announce quite a few things. Uh, we finally got the announcement, which, again, um, no real secret. UFC London, Aspinall is fighting Tibura in the main event. There's no real massive fights in, in that card. Obviously, it's a fight night. You've got Molly McCann, um, Jai Herbert, I think he's on it. Um, Lee Roan, obviously, the man, the man of the uh, the hour. Um, not that many things to really entice us to go. We did say that we would potentially go to it, but the rumours are that the prices are going to be about 130, 140 quid per person. And that for that card, with everything else that you got to spend, it's not one that I think I'm going to be jumping at personally. Yeah, it was a bit of a disappointment, wasn't it? I think if there was another big fight that they'd anchored with it with Aspinall, I would have been far more inclined and uh, like to Even see... Even predicting... lesser price. Well, yeah, or, yeah, or a, a price reflection, like you say, sort of, you know, 70, 80 quid, then yeah. I probably would have been in. Um, I think it was no secret we'd said about this months ago when they, as soon as they called it on the podcast, it had to be Aspinall headlining it because he was effectively the only obvious English fighter apart from Leon, who would be either around or fit to potentially fight on it. So um, our prediction came true there. Tabura is no joke. You know, he's on a, a good run at the moment. I think he's 7-1 and one in his last eight fights I read. So, um, but it feels a bit like a gimme for him, obviously. I mean, he, coming back from a bad injury, and people shouldn't forget that, he, he blew his knee out in 15 seconds against Curtis Blades uh, last year at a fight night in London as well. So he's going to have a little bit of ring rust. You know, he is a predominant in terms of style kickboxer. So heavily reliant on his knees in terms of his movement, his style. is He's got ferocious leg kicks. So um, it feels like a bit of a, you know, a set up gimme for him whilst still keeping him at a, you know, a, a, not a pussy level. Because I think he, he's five in the rankings, Aspinall. Uh, I'd have to check, yeah. He was he's fifth ranked. Tabura's may well be eight or nine. So, you know, there's not a huge difference in there. And um, it definitely would give one of them the, the jump off, depending what happens with, with Jones. And we still got no announcement on Jones-Stipe, which looks like it might be uh, the next fight. You could say the winner of that goes on to face the, uh, the murderous power of uh, Armand Pavlovich say that but obviously based on what Jones was saying this week um, it might not be happening it might be his last fight yeah surprising I, I, I'd miss this one and you, you were telling me about it it seems pr- premature I suppose from my point of view for Jones he especially with the time that he's taken off maybe he's being a bit reluctant and realising shit I sat out for three years of some of my prime athletic career uh, he's only fought once at heavyweight, obviously, in which he took the title. If he beats Miokic, who is on paper, certainly not in my opinion, but on paper, I say the greatest heavyweight in UFC history. He's got the best paper resume of UFC heavyweights in that he's defended the belt the most times. That doesn't necessarily make you the greatest, but when you read a lot of this shit to build the fight up, that's what they're saying and that's a lot where John Jones' mindset has come from. Is I want to beat the guy that's got the best record. If he, if he did fight Stipe and beat him, that's one defence. He only needs two more to then tie three fights to beat that. He's been out for three years. You can, rack, you can do a Cowboy Cerrone and rack off three or four fights in a year. Bang. Take, um, take the record. And if he had the most 
light heavyweight title defences ever and the most heavyweight title defences ever, how can his GOAT status be denied? I would I would argue. Yeah, and I, I can't disagree with you whatsoever. Um, I mean, the thing with John Jones is he's done this quite often. I think he did it last month, probably. What are we in May now? Years flying by. But pretty sure in April he posted something like, how cool would it be? spending my retirement fight dominating one of the greatest heavyweights of all time at the MSG, um, to which someone, I think a fan, commented something like, no, I'm, I'm not ready to see you retire. So you just put, okay, my bad, I'll keep fighting then. So it, it, you don't know what The only other thing is, if I'm not mistaken, before the fight with Cyril Garn, it was announced he'd fought something like a new six-fight six deal. So if he is... Again, with John Jones, you never know. And let's be fair, he's probably made enough money that after one more fight, he can sneak off into retirement. He's made his millions. He doesn't have to put his body on the line. But I can't help but feel there's a little, almost bit of fear there. Is he scared of Pavlovich? Does he does he think, fuck, maybe maybe my number's up? But I think he's just playing a game. Fight. I think he's got to carry on fighting. I'd yeah. be very, very disappointed if he does one more and done. And I think... The argument would be he's 34, so he's on the downslope of, you know, he hasn't got as much miles in his body as certainly some fighters. I mean, I was, I was reading that in Bellator, uh, Musassi uh, is going to fight one more time and then might retire. 38, had a 20-year career, he's fought like 60, 60 or 65 professional bouts. You know, some of them massive wars, decisions, you know, Jim Jones used to fly through people, like cut through them like butter. So he hasn't got anywhere near the number of miles on his on his body that a lot of fighters would have at 34 that have been doing it as young as he has because he's had a lot of these prolonged periods of gaps for his out-of-cage escapades as well. So I'd feel, I'd feel robbed. I'd feel, as a fan, I'd feel disappointed if he was one, and, one more and done. I feel like he's got more to give. You want to talk about one? This week, yes, yeah, so I feel like we got we got to discuss a little bit about one. One does go off the radar a little bit with us. I mean, I, I very much was in discussion with a few of my mates uh, the other day, and one of them was trying to say that one is better than the UFC. And I said to him, "What the fuck are you talking about?" <laughs> in terms of levels of MMA, nowhere close. They've got some good fighters. But I said, in terms of for someone like me as, as a mixed martial arts fan, I do like what one are doing in terms of the mixed cards. So they do basically the most extreme level of cards that we witnessed at Cage Steel in terms of mixed events. So they have kickboxing, Muay Thai, uh, mixed martial arts and jujitsu uh, all on, on one card. And very, very high-level guys. They made some very high-level signings. And for me, as, as, a, as an experience, I like that. The, the, the jiu-jitsu, if I want a little bit more to watch just that, you know, if you then want the MMA, if they don't want, want to watch some savage Thai boxers, fucking throw some, some nasty kicks and some elbows in Muay Thai. So I, 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 I said to him, I agree with him from a view, perhaps a viewer experience point of view of the... The, the multiple aspects to the card as opposed to UFC being purely MMA, but to suggest the level of MMA is higher at one than the UFC is just frankly ridiculous. Does he, do they listen to this podcast? Probably not. Probably not this far in. Might listen to, <laughs> might, 
he's a narcissistic cunt. So if I tell him he's mentioned in it, he might listen. But uh, and tell him the point that I've just argued about it. But um, yeah, Flip it and I, send I, it to I, him. I like what they're doing. Um, and I mean, they, ha- they they made some high-profile signings. They got uh, Mighty Mouse over in the uh, uh, a few years back. They did a very high-profile. I think it might be one of the only times I've ever heard the word MMA trade. So they, if I'm not mistaken, I might be wrong. They basically, they had Ben Askren and they swapped Mighty Mouse for Ben Askren. So Ben Askren was running and tearing through people at that division and everybody wanted to see what he might do in the UFC. Uh, Mighty Mouse was the um, flyweight champion for some ridiculous 10 or 11 defences, just smashing people. Has one of the best finishes you'll ever see. If you've not seen it, he does a suplex to armbar finish. And I would uh, encourage any listeners that haven't ever seen that finish to just Google it. So he picks a guy up, suplexes him in the air, mid-air, transitions into an armbar, that by the time the guy hits the floor, he's got the armbar locked in. It's fucking sensational. Straight out of a video game type shit. Uh, and, and again, one of those people, he must go down as one of the pound for pound top five. We've talked previously about the, the Mount Rushmore of MMA and whose faces would be on that four. Mighty Mouse has to be on there. Better than John Jones? I'll tell you what, plenty of people argue that. I personally wouldn't say so, but he's, he's pound, you know, the definition, he, he, he would provide an amazing puzzle. If he could suddenly, if, if they were the same weight, I would fucking love to see that fight. Incredibly well-rounded, every, literally probably one of the most well-rounded fighters ever, I'd go as far to say, in terms of there are very, very little holes in his game. You know, you can't say he's, you know, he's, he's, he's an eight or nine out of ten at everything. Striking, jiu-jitsu, wrestling, you know, every, everything that he needs to be, he covers. Uh, he is absolutely fantastic. And he beat uh, a chap called, I forget his name, Morales, I think, uh, who they had fought once, twice before. This was the trilogy fight and he won. So 2-1, it was one all, ends that feud and retained his title. Anything else to, have, to note about one? Uh, one thing I do like, worth mentioning, I think we might have talked before, but just for people who haven't listened, I'm a big fan of one, what they do is they do weight cutting slightly differently. So we talked about the dangers of, of weight cutting and how the EFC do it and how it is effectively sanctioned cheating. Certainly at some weights, these guys are, you know, Poetang gets down to 185. He walks around at like 225. By the time he gets in the cage, he's like 40 pounds heavier than he weighed in. It's ridiculous, his weight cut. At one, they have a different uh, weigh-in system. So they have a hydration test as part of the weigh-in, which basically means after you weigh in, you are only allowed to rehydrate, might be 10% or something along those lines of your body weight. So you can't make a huge weight cut like that you'd be you'd be disqualified you wouldn't make the the the, the grade if you were doing a poetang style weight cut and how they kind of put that into um effect was they bumped all of the weight classes up 10 pounds so basically so you can still fight that weight but you're just fighting at your more natural weight so you don't have to do a stupid weight cut to get down to that that level so i think that's worth noting that i quite like that uh, the only other little point I had to note is there was an interesting signing by the uh, PFL this week in that they signed a chap called Cedric Dumbay, who is an absolutely murderous kickboxer. 
former Glory, which is probably the best kickboxing organisation uh, in the world, welterweight champion, 75-7 and seven kickboxing record, won no contest as well. Uh, in pretty much signed for the UFC at one point. I think he, he's originally African, but he fights out of France by way of France. And he was supposed to be on the original card in France when the UFC were going there. But there was some kind of issue. I forget exactly what it was. His signing with the UFC fell through. He's been fighting in France now that MMA is legal there. One of the last countries to make it legal on smaller promotions. But he's been signed by uh, the PFL. So he's definitely one to keep an eye on because that mother he's a bad motherfucker in terms of kickboxing and stand up. Jake Paul's influenced that, innit? Uh oh, what is the uh, head of acquisition and <laughs> um but yeah, uh, very very, very clever, good signing by the PFL. Be interested to know what kind of level of deal he signed with them, whether he signed a long term deal or whether he's gone a bit shorter term that would allow him to maybe dazzle, put on a few fights become a free agent and the UFC to snap him up if he does well. But we'll see how he does in the PFL where they have the uh, tournament format and the, the sort of league format where they fight quite regularly. So it'd be interesting to see how he does in that. But that's definitely one to keep your eye on. I'm going to do a bit of a smaller, smaller, lesser league commentary uh, this time, aren't we? Because we've just got to the final days in the majority of leagues. Obviously, you had... Uh, the big thing with Wrexham quite recently, um, Boreham Wood have recently knocked out, I think, after a bit of heroics for them. So that is still ongoing at the moment and their playoffs have started. Uh, League One, League Two and the Championship have come down to the final days. They're actually quite a lot more entertaining than I expected and there are a lot more twists and turns than I expected as well. Yeah, it was uh, an interesting one to watch. I mean, for me, I've got a few notes I've made. I mean, League One... The final day was quite a uh, an interesting one for me personally in terms of just not having any skin in the game there. But um, two of my good friends from home, one is a uh, very avid Plymouth fan. So shout out to Toby, uh, who was cheering for Plymouth. And uh, the other, Andy, is a big Ipswich fan. So they were one and two for fighting out on the last day for the title. So there was a lot of shit going down in, in the WhatsApp group there as the, the results came in. Um, Plymouth ultimately won uh, and were champions. So they Toby won uh, on the day. Uh, you've got to feel slightly sorry for Ipswich because they were looking to be the first EFL team to get 100 goals and 100 points. And they got the 100 goals, but they failed on the 100 points. Uh, I'm just going to say, um, do they go to any games at all? Uh, Toby is a massive fan, so Toby goes to loads of games. He lives in London and goes to a lot of home games. Uh, and he, the in fact, just before COVID hit was the last time uh, he came to Bradford. I went with him to see Bradford, Plymouth. So I'm going to say because if he goes to if he goes to any away games, uh, you could probably That'll see him next days. season. <laughs> yeah, very much so. I'm sure he'll be up for that, and no doubt, yeah, I'm sure he can easily come up for that. And so, uh, you can sort us uh, some tickets, but. Um, yeah, so that was a good day. Also, I've got another mate of mine in Leeds. is a is a uh, a posh fan, so a Peterborough fan, and uh, posh snuck into the playoffs uh, on the last day of the season. Which um, with Darren uh, Ferguson, they were only five points from the relegation zone when he took over earlier in the season, and has led them on a following his dad Fergie esque charge up the league, sneaking into the playoffs. Uh, it's probably the first time he's ever 
and probably will only ever be compared to remotely his dad because he's an abject failure compared to the great man <laughs> as much as I hate fucking Fergie and the, the twat that he was uh, for, for the for man you for so long but um, very very impressive performance from the posh and a very good run to get into the playoffs as well did you see the derby game or any of it they had a man sent off, I think, didn't they? It honestly might have been one of the most ridiculous decisions I've ever seen. I say that every week about football because... Uh, is, is, was it, isn't it Curtis Davis used to be yeah. that Premier yeah. League centre-back? The very same. Um, it, it's one of the most ridiculous red cards you'll see. It's basically Chef Wednesday, so for whatever reason, they've disliked each other, I think, because obviously they both went down similar points. Um, they're... It, I, can't, I think it was a long ball up at top and Chef Wednesday player, I can't recall, gets past him. Um, Curtis Davis is trying to run back and make the tackle. The player, the Chef Wednesday player, quite literally just dives on the floor from like, I think he slightly touches his shoulder. It's not a proper tug, it's nothing like that. Not only does he give a penalty, he also sends him off. And it, it's just, I didn't think he could do that anymore. I thought that were double jeopardy sort of thing. Well, I... I mean, again, they don't have VAR, do they? So I, no. I, I do remember I was I was watching it on um, Saturday, sort of Soccer AM, sort of fucking, you know, uh, score, scores coming on Sky Sports, and they were saying how ridiculous it was, and there is no doubt whatsoever that if they had VAR in the lower leagues, that one would have been overturned. Uh, if a ref got to see it again, he was probably embarrassed. So I haven't seen it, I've got to say, but uh, they were echoing exactly what you were saying on. Um, yeah, Sky Sports News basically saying it was a ridiculous one and it would have been one of the only times that VAR would have been good. Um, however, what was quite funny was you had old Jeff Stellin saying nobody, by the way, in the lower leagues or supports the lower league club is wanting VAR given the joke that it causes in the Premier League with the delays and the decisions and things like that. So um, no one was certainly seeming to hound that that should be brought in in the lower leagues. But yeah, they were echoing your sentiments of it being a very bad decision. Sunderland um, snuck into the playoffs in the championship then. Um, Blackburn very, very nearly did. Uh, It's a weird playoff setup uh, this year, or setup, I I mean, makeup, in terms of the teams that are involved in it. There are two that you'd think, yeah, um, probably class. Are you opening a thing of rum there? I'm just having another little glass while you're pouring myself a glass there. Jesus uh... Christ, how much are you pouring into glass? And this is also, just for you so you can see it, 114 proof spice rum, 50, 57%. This is some strong shit, this one. Christ almighty. It's even got a proper decanter bottle. What? Yeah, it's a nice bottle. This, I think my sister bought me this one for me birthday. So, yeah. Uh, for me birthday? Rum, uh, for <laughs> me last birthday. So, uh, whenever, I, whenever I get the 57% shit out, you know, it's been a hard week. Yeah, it's been a very hard day of getting beaten at pool. Um, that, that actually took me off my me, me floor then. It's a nice bottle. Anyway, back to it. Uh, yeah, the makeup this year of the playoffs. You've got Sunderland and Middlesbrough in, in the championship, this is. Middlesbrough, obviously, everyone knows about their past in the Premier League, same as Sunderland. But then you've got like, Typically, Luton. these days, yeah, you've got Luton just hidden in it. One team that people give a bit of disrespect for and say, ah, yeah, these are a little bit of a small team, Coventry. I remember Coventry being quite a big force in it won't, well, Premier League. league yeah. or it, it won't Premier League, right? It were. Coventry definitely were, um, you know, have been in the Premier League for a, probably a number of seasons. They were pretty good. I mean, they had, um, before we went to Leeds, I think, uh, Huckabee 
Yeah, play Darren. For, 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 uh, for, for a period of time. They had obviously Dion Dublin, big Dion, smashing them in for Coventry back in the day. Um, they had Noel yeah, Whelan. Were... I think Noel Whelan I played for Leeds. Yeah, I think, they, I, yeah. Think they had, no, I think it was Noel Whelan, Dion Dublin, and then one of them went and Huckabee kept, maybe Dion then went, and it was Huckabee and Whelan. And Leeds ended up with both of those clowns, didn't they? Yeah. Didn't they play for Leeds? Typical Leeds transfers, that. But yeah, um, um, so being, I, I, it's one of those where I genuinely don't know who can go up from this. There is so many different outcomes that I could see happening and I could see any of the four going up, which is weird because Luton, obviously, a lot of people would write them off. They've been outstanding this season. I mean, they have. I, I can't help but feel I'm being harsh here, but I think Luton would probably go near Derby's record for the worst Premier League team ever and get dicked week in, week out if they did go up. I feel like... Sunderland and Borough have the larger fan bases, the better stadiums, probably the infrastructure from being more recent Premier League teams as, as the two, you would say, might acclimatise the best if they did. Uh, as much as, again, as he's a bit of a, um, you know, scum legend, but really impressed with Michael Carrick and what he seems to be doing. He seems to be doing a fantastic job and one of the the really good young English prospect managers that you'd think, um, you know, will ultimately, if he carries on going at this rate, end up with a, a very good job uh, in the future. Um, and Coventry, as much as they might not be a great, they seem to be one of those teams that the, that the the team is better than the sum of its parts. But equally, they have two or three outstanding players, don't they? Is it, is it Hamer is one of them? And uh, the chap who's name I one of them. never pronounce the uh, Swedish... Striker. No one can pronounce him. Uh, the Swedish striker who was at Brighton and uh, for the, I think he smashed 20 goals in the last two... 20 goals per season for the last two seasons for Coventry. So they carry a, they carry a, a definite goal threat. Um, and I think, actually, didn't Coventry play Middlesbrough on the last day of the season, which ended one all? And actually, yeah. that's, the, that's the first two-legged tie. So um, they then, I think, are fourth and fifth, I think they ended, didn't they? So they play, whereas third plays sixth, which is Luton-Sunderland. So uh, some fun facts for you, just to rub in the depressing nature of football at the moment. Uh, Luton have a fantastic right-back. So if you're a Premier League team and you've got two really shit right-backs like Aileen or Christensen then you'd probably look to buy Luton's young right-back, Cody Drama. Um, and obviously, there's a very realistic possibility that he is going to switch leagues and probably get bought by Luton in the summer if they go up, whereas Leeds are going to go down. Um, they have got, obviously, Sunderland have got Joffe from us, so Joe Gellert. Um, Jack Clark, if you remember him, he went a little bit of a weird career Um Obviously, Spurs decided to buy him from us for, I think, like 10, 12 million. Failed Middles, Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough? Uh, Middles, I can't, Jesus Christ, I can't say it. Miserably. Yeah. Have, yeah. <laughs> it's just the look of it. It, it sends you looper. Um, he then restarted his career with Sunderland and, by all intents and purposes, has had a, an outstanding season. Um, a lot of people looking at him, a lot of teams looking at him. And... Coventry's striker, well, he isn't a Leeds striker or a Leeds player, was actually the one that Leeds looked at before making the signing of the best transfer signing of the January transfer window and going for uh, Ruta instead, who hasn't played for Leeds in the last four games or scored or assisted. 
So really good work and transferring from uh, Leeds' transfer department. Only thing that I had left on the, on the championship one was uh, you mentioned Blackburn nearly doing it in the last uh, day, coming from 3-1 down to win 4-3, which was inspired by Ben Brereton, or ever since he's now found his Chilean roots, Ben Brereton Diaz, as he now seems to be referred to. Question for you then, or two questions. Is it his last game for the club? Is he the best player in the championship? Uh, it is his last um, game for the He's club. Contract. So, yes, right and He's he he actually announced that he was leaving as well, didn't he? Um, so did he, he? I he didn't took... see that because I, I did see that Blackburn were hoping to tempt him with and like, bust their budget or whatever it would be and offer him a 30 grand a week salary, which for a team in the championship that haven't been up for how many years as Blackburn is probably pretty big bucks. But I get the feeling he could probably double, if not treble that on a free transfer somewhere. Well, the, the rumours are that he's going to um, Villarreal. Villarreal. And it, yeah, it's been long rumoured as that. Um, I, I think it would be difficult to argue that that wouldn't be a good move for him. He's obviously, you know, probably learning Spanish, um, doing whatever he wants to do because he's a revelation at the moment. Uh, is he the best player in the championship at the moment? Are we including players that are going up? Or leaving, so for example, if they're on loan this season, um, yeah, I would say if they played in the championship this season, so even like, even drama and uh, on loan from Leeds to Luton, so technically he plays for a Premier League team in terms of their ownership, but um, yeah, just interesting. I, he just he seems certainly for the last two seasons, he was never really a goal machine. Last season he scored even more goals. This season he scored a lot. Um, I don't. I profess I don't watch a lot of championship football, um, but the bits I have seen, he's always looked, certainly for the last two years, a cut above everybody else I've seen in that league. Um, I Good player, very good player. Um, Pedro, so Jao Pedro, who is going to Brighton, um, by clearly didn't belong in the championship. Obviously, he was very injured. Or majority of games he was injured this season, so he hasn't had that much chance to shine. Uh, I would put him above there. You've got uh, Diallo. What's the other lad that plays for, uh, for Watford? The winger, the uh, Senegalese chap. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. Put me on the spot there. Um, you know the guy I'm talking about. I do. His um, leads were linked with him, weren't they? I can't yes. Name, and he... he's worth a shit ton of money. Lots of people he been linked with. Was, he, he, he seems to have had a quiet season. I think he's had injuries, but he is a very. He, I, I mean, he tore Liverpool apart last season when Watford beat us uh, when uh, towards the end of the season they went down. But he has to be in the conversation, I would say, as the best player in the league as well. Sa, that's the one. Ishmael Sa, that's the one. Yeah, that's uh, the one I was going to yeah. say. I should have recognised yeah. that one. But yeah, he so in there. Di- Diallo, who's on loan from. Scum, Man Sunderland. Yeah, he... yeah, he's done well. He's, he's, he, he, I mean, he was from Atalanta, weren't they? Spent some thirty-eight million. Did they buy him for some yeah. something incredible like that? And he ends up getting loaned out. Hasn't had a, a real sniff at United, but yeah, that's a good shout. I saw he made the Championship t- Team of the Year. Uh, I like Alex Scott at Bristol City. Yeah, he's a youngster in as well. Very yeah, twenty like nineteen, like, twenty, like, something like that. Ramp. Uh, linked with a lot of bigger teams and a move in the summer. That's a good shout. He, he again, I did see, was in the, the team of the year. 
I like um, obviously the Premier League players now, but uh, Nathan Teller and who was the other one at Burnley? Is it Zaruri? Uh, yeah, I, I was just going to say I quite like the look of their left back. Uh, is it? I think it's Matheson. 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 Uh, unknown from Chelsea, young Dutch left back. Can't yeah. see him getting at Chelsea. So be interested to see whether he moves maybe on loan to um, Burnley again and they give him some Premier League experience like that or whether they just sell him outright because of all the crazy squad numbers they've got. I really like, um, again, he's a Premier League player now, so technically um, cheating a little bit, but Ndai, um at uh, Sheffield United. Yes, and another one made the made the team of the season. Diaz, by the way, didn't, or Brierton Diaz, didn't make the team of the season from what I saw. The official... Coventry striker. Again, no. his name. Oh, uh, it was the two strikers were the guy that scored the most goals, uh, Akpom for Middlesbrough. Chubra Akpom, yeah. With uh, the guy you just said, Ndai, who scored. I think he, that that what I read on a quick bit on that when I read the Championship team was it. He was one of only five players to hit double figures for goals and assists, and he had the most dribbles and or second most dribbles and second most shots on target or something like that. So. Be interesting to see how he acclimatizes to the Premier League next season as well. Yeah, and I think he's one of those that if he doesn't um, in Sheffield United's team, if they don't do so well, someone will pick him up because he's still young. I think he's about twenty-two as well. I mean, um, he's got West Ham, someone like that, written all over him. Yeah, had a good season there, and then West Ham going spunk 30, 35 million on him, and he'll be an abject failure for them. But uh, yeah. <laughs> like Brewster has been for Sheffield United, for example. I was more than happy to let them take him off our, off our hands. But I had high hopes for him. I mean, obviously, he won the England Under-18 World Cup. Looked very good. He had a few good games for us when he played in a few cups. He's been one who's been surprisingly underwhelming in terms of his development, actually, Rian Brewster. Loads of injuries as well, apparently. Um, so he spends the majority of time on the um, bench. And... Darren Anderton, is he? Yeah. Note. The yeah, original, essentially. And own the best ever sick note, best example of sick note. But I'm surprised if you even know who Darren Anderton is, but was one of the most injured players ever, I would have thought, Darren Anderton. Run through this week's results then quickly in the Premier League, because I don't, I'm not a fan. I mean, it was, it was from a Leeds point of view, if we just again be a bit biased here and focus on Leeds, uh, from the relegation aspect, the Saturday and Sunday worked out all right, didn't it, in terms of... Leicester losing. Leicester lost to uh, Fulham. Is it Fulham? Being... I thought that were early in the day, wasn't it? I thought it were an early kickoff. On maybe you're right. Maybe yeah. The 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 uh, the bank of the, the one. I'm sure there was what there was a one good result. In, uh, sorry, Leicester. West, yeah. West Ham beating uh, Man U was good for Leeds, I believe. And as as we said in the last couple of episodes, I thought West Ham would be easy to stay up if they beat Man U. They're clearly now up. Now they're focused on Europe and they won last night in Europe. So I think they're concentrating on that. So I think they've got their mind elsewhere for when they play Leeds. So I think that's a good thing. It got to the bank holiday Monday and Leicester lost, get smashed by Fulham. That's a good result for Leeds if we're looking at it through the the Leeds lens. The next two results, not so much. So fucking typical Everton scum suddenly saved their best performance out of nowhere and beat Brighton maybe some people's team of the season five one at home. Well, and I changed then... my mind on Deserbe because I've liked him all this season, and in the last few weeks, 
he's lost against Forest and against Seven. So he's probably single-handedly sent us down after I've sung his praises all fucking season. Is he just a really good manager and he fucking hates Leeds? So he's like, fuck probably. Up, but, um, and then, of course, Forest go and not surprisingly, but we talked about the magnitude of this game on previous podcasts against Southampton. Probably because everyone has already written Saints off. What Leeds really could have done with was at minimum a draw, but if not a Southampton win, because I still think that wouldn't have saved Southampton. Forest go and win 4-2. And both of them subsequently move above Leeds in the table, putting Leeds second bottom. Well, that it relegates Southampton, doesn't it, that result against Forest. There is absolutely no chance that they come back. I think mathematically they can still stay up. They can still pick up nine points. But I'm pretty sure they're either seven or eight points away from safety. So they need every team above them, or at least the top three teams above them, um, to lose every game and then to win every game, which isn't going to happen. I think if they won, they were still down for me. I think they were done and dusted, but that's that's finished it off. But that was that was a real double whammy for Leeds. Just, no one would have caught. I mean, the odds on, uh, you know, a minus four turnaround in terms of Everton beating Brighton at Brighton would have been ridiculous. Um, I, I watched some of that game. I didn't watch any of the, the, the Forest game. And Everton looked really good, to be honest. I mean, they just took their chances. Brighton weren't woeful. One was a shocking goalkeeping from, from Steele, who somehow seems to have displaced Sanchez, who looked really good and some, somehow has been displaced in, in the team. Um, but, yeah, that, I, I think, again, I'm not a big fan of Everton. I don't profess to watch any of their games. But I would have thought most Everton fans would tell you that was their performance of the season. I'll be honest, it's not bitter, although it's going to sound bitter. I don't think they played that well. I thought that Brighton quite literally played into the hands. It was one of the most frustrating things, obviously, because I'm watching it as a pseudo Brighton fan in that position. But the first goal is, you know, quick start. Okay, it happens sometimes. You can't really fault anyone for that. And it's a good bit of play from Everton. And it's a good Less than goal. a minute, wasn't it? Literally. Yeah, literally almost from kickoff. But it was quite evident what Everton's game plan was in that we're going to sit back and soak all, all, all the pressure like a typical Sean Dyche team and then we're going to try and hit you on the counter-attack. But it was so obvious what was going to happen every single time. And every time Brighton lost that ball, they were making a counter-attack of maybe three or four Everton players to two or three Brighton players. And you, it just it must drive you mental as a manager to watch that but then you think, well, why are you not changing it? Why are you not saying, right, I'll tell you what, let's leave one more band back and let you attack and do what you're doing instead of doing what we're doing, going gung-ho and just conceding constantly. Because that's essentially probably ruined their chances of Europe as well. So there's no way that it was intentional or anything. I'm not saying that he actually does dislike Leeds. It was just incredibly frustrating to watch. And you just know full well, if that had been Leeds playing them, Leeds would have been woeful and our defence had caved and then we'd have been battered. So it's so frustrating to watch. And the same with Forrest. I don't think that they were necessarily any good because you can't concede two goals against Southampton, he says, knowing that Leeds have conceded two goals against Southampton this season. Um, But it's one of those things where you expect them to pick up those points. I had Leeds as down a number of weeks ago. I think this only further cements that idea. I didn't have Leicester as going down. That's one of my more surprising things. I, I thought it would be Lees and Forest, but Leicester look woeful as well. They look almost as bad as us at the back. Oh, I mean, I, I'd say worse. I think jokers, absolute jokers at the back. I mean, why they 
why they let, I mean, massive part of that, which was letting Schmeichel go in the summer to, to Nice. They lost, you know, they brought in Danny Ward from us. He's never been a Premier League keeper. I think the backup they've got is, is Iverson, some yeah. kind of, you know, unknown, really, sort of Danish keeper or something like that. Um, not good. You know, that fucking phase. I don't, can't, I mean, he plays football like he looks, like Sideshow Bob. Like, if you imagine just fucking play, giving a guy an afro and clown shoes, that's how he defends. Um, so they've always seemed to got goals in them. They, 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 good going forward. On a slight side note, and not trying to, to go off track here, uh, we were talking about this in midweek and the news came out. I think that you mentioned to me that I like to see this and I'd say this is good planning from a Leeds perspective, even as much as it might be painfully realistic that if they do go down there's relevant clauses in the contracts of every single player that their wages will decrease by a minimum of 50 percent if not 60 percent in some cases which is very clever Leicester however hand have no such clauses and (laughs) earlier this week you fired me through a little picture of their wage bill didn't you and I was staggered with some of the wages that Leicester are paying and and unless the um, Thai owners, I think they are, aren't they? Because they're originally their 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 Thai, very famous Thai chairman, unfortunately passed away in the the quite infamous helicopter crash, didn't he? In the uh, in the car park, I believe. Is it not his family? If it's not his son that took over and carried yeah. unless they are going to dip their hands in their pocket or sell off a lot of their higher that some of those players. Now there are a few we know are going. T. Elements is on a free. Uh, I'm Madison. Sure, Madison's going to go. Um, you know, they are going to lose a fair few. But I think Vardy's their highest paid and no one's going to be taking Vardy at 35 or 36 off their hands. So they could be paying Vardy well over 150 grand in the fucking championship. It's well, it, it, it screams Leeds 2004 because that's yeah. exactly what <laughs> Leeds were in. Who have they got under the tie guy? Peter Risdale. Yeah. <laughs> 25 grand fish tank. Like, I'm going to say, it'll have goldfish somewhere. They'll buy Seth Johnson in a minute. Um, yeah, they are a team that I think are quite... They clearly are worried about the drop. There's loads of rumours that they're offsetting um, certain payments that they've got over future and getting loans of uh, future TV money. So and if they're obviously going down, they're not going to be entitled to that, that media money anymore that you would get from the lucrative Premier League deals. So they're going to be in quite drastic trouble, really, if they go down, from what it sounds like. And unless there's something hidden that we haven't seen as of yet, and there is these relegation clauses like Leeds have, then I think you might see Leicester going a bit into oblivion, exactly like Leeds said. What they might do is they might roll the dice, um, which, again, is what I hope Leeds will do next season in the Championship, roll the dice and say, right, We'll go for it. We've got to go for it because if we don't go for it, we're, we're fucked anyway. And then see what happens. And obviously, if they they do mess up that year, they're going to probably drop down a league a little bit like Leeds did and, and drift win off. or bust, isn't it? Fuck yeah. it all up the house. We've got one chance to go up. And, and again, I can't falter in some ways. I like when a team obviously they got that the completely shocking title victory way back 2016, something like that when when they had Ranieri. Rogers seemed to be building a, a pretty good team, and you know a couple of years ago they were. They were the Brighton of this season, weren't they, a few years ago? That team you didn't expect to be doing, challenging for Europe, doing pretty well, looked very well set. You could see what, you know, buying people like Tielemans, who were very highly rated at the time, getting some really good signings. It's never nice to see any, for any fans, I, I hate the thought of a team going under, you know, you, 
I, I couldn't. We saw how much we both know that football is our life. It means everything to us. I can't imagine what it would be like to see Liverpool have that kind of thing and then know that the club could go back. I, I don't know what I'd do. I'd fucking be throwing myself off a bridge if Liverpool fucking was bank like, <laughs> like, you'd be pulling me back off the bridge. But So I, I never like seeing a team go into that kind of financial turmoil. I think it's not pleasant, even as a football fan in general, to watch. But there's that element of, have they just been very badly mismanaged here? And there's, like you say, there's a little bit of a feel of Leeds back in the, the Risdale days where that certainly did happen, that unexpected relegation. And I mean, what were you out of the Premier League for? 15 years? 12 15 years? years. Yeah, 15, 15 years. years, I think it was. No one would have called that one. I mean, ironically, it was the year I moved to Leeds. I think that you went down. That I was moving to Leeds. Yeah, I get to see Leeds Liverpool every year. Oh, right, Leeds have gone down. Didn't expect that. And so then... it's you. You're the omen. Took them fucking 15 years to get back, which no one saw. So, um, yeah. Um, but we still hold out hope. I, I still, my hope gets less by the day, admittedly, being a realist. You're being more pragmatic to me. But I still think Leeds can do it. Moving slightly on, but not too much on. Newcastle and Man U both seem to be faulted at the moment. I mean, Man U losing to, to West Ham is a shocker and a dream result for Liverpool. We're one point off them now. They do have a game in hand. And I've been saying all this time... We can carry. If we win every game, we definitely have a chance to do this. I know you shat all over those those dreams and we're piss taking the piss, but they look. I think I think it would be safe to say Liverpool's chances of fourth place now are probably better than Leeds' chances of staying up. Uh, and Newcastle obviously also losing. Uh, no shame in that. Uh, at home to Arsenal is a bit of a, a knock and a result for them, and maybe helps Leeds in terms of. They're knocking them off their stride, knocking them out of out of their pattern of play that they had that, that very good run then on and maybe gives you guys a chance against them because that's your next match, is it not, Newcastle? Yes, yeah, so I, I have to say, if Leeds go down this season, I, I could handle it. That's it's by the by and it's something that you would get on. If Leeds go down and Liverpool get top four this season, I will probably have to call up Samaritans because I don't think I can handle that. That, that would be... Literally, one of the, look at your fucking face. That would be one of the worst days of my life to have that confirmed, and then for you to be like, "Yeah, I told you so." I'm trying, just trying to think in my mind. I'm just playing that situation out and getting this phone call. It'd be like, "Meg, hi, and it's Meg." Down just hung himself because <laughs> whether I'd not have a little smile before I was a bit guy. He's I left think, a note, and it just says, no "It's all your fault." Now, but if I can told that cunt, it was going to happen. <laughs> but. I'll be honest, it's, it, it's still a big ask because they both, we're, we're one and two points off them, but they both have a game in hand. Um, so it is still a big ask. We have a five game winning streak. We have got a couple of those, the last two games, in fact, I'd go to say to far, we were a little bit lucky. We were definitely the better team to beat Brentford on Saturday. We got back to watch that one and that was relatively comfortable. We sort of muted Brentford, um, didn't really give them any chance. Last time we play, played us earlier in the season, they absolutely ran riot at every corner they had, they nearly scored from. And I think we were 4-1 down in the first half. We kind of nullified Tony, they didn't really have much at them, but it was all, we didn't have a great deal of chances and it was a bit of a lucky, a uh, solid performance at the back, but we ground it out. The match before that, we obviously beat Fulham 1-0 and we, you know, 
ropey penalty. I know we disagreed on the uh, the penalty itself, and it could have they could have got back into that. So we've been riding our luck a little bit. But I mean, the dream for me, I, I, I've got to be honest. As a neutral, I'd like to see Newcastle in the Champions League. I think it would be a, a nice story, and I think it would be very interesting to see what their owners do, whether they give how the money and they go big in the transfer market. Obviously, the, the dream for me is to pick, pick Man U to fourth. That that's got to be the dream for me. I mean, to see them go carry on to their Thursdays where they can't even get past Sevilla in the quarterfinals, and us to be in the Champions League would be the dream. I'll accept that because Scum ending the season on a low and Leeds staying up would be a fantastic result. Um, obviously, both of those things have to happen. It can't just be one of them. Other. I'll take lead staying up and you not finishing top four, selfishly. Um, what I would say is that must mean that you're going to be a Leeds fan tomorrow in the 12.30 kickoff. I am. I mean, let's be honest, apart from when you play us, when I'm a not a Leeds fan. You know, I am. Yeah. This is my adopted city of 17, 18 years. Um, I do not want to see him go down. I've made that very clear again. I might be smug when we smash you 6-1 and... Uh, see the impact it has on you but uh, I definitely don't want to see Leeds go down and more than any city I haven't lived in a great deal of places I can't lie but it makes a difference to the feel of Leeds when Leeds are in the Premier League it's it's great for the city it's great for the for, for, for the place itself and as I say I've made no bones about it I definitely do not want Leeds to go down I want them to stay up um, and I certainly will be a, a Leeds fan for that match because if you can win and do yourself some good and do us a favour that gives us a chance, we have uh, we don't play until Monday. And I hope in 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 the same token here as we're talking about teams, it's we Leicester, do you a favour because we've yeah. got Leicester. So hopefully we smash Leicester and give them a hiding like we gave you and move their goal difference down, which helps you guys. And if you're fresh off a result you'll bounce above them as well. So hopefully we can, our teams can be mutually beneficial this weekend. Uh, run through the Champions League quickly as well, just because uh, we're in the semis now and it's definitely worth a note. Uh, obviously, Real Madrid and City drew um, two fantastic goals from um, arguably one of the best wingers in the world, Vinicius Junior, and of course the man, the, the myth legend KDB, who is probably pushing himself into being one of the greatest midfielders in Premier League history. As it stands, he, he seems to Easily. be. Yeah, he is outstanding. He, he, the numbers he does in terms of assists. I mean, goals. He can fluctuate on goals. Sometimes he would do quite well. I think his best ever season. I was having a look there was something like twelve goals. I think it might have been last season. Twelve goals, seventeen assists. Something insane like that. But if you look at the numbers in terms of assists that he's done every year, he's smashing it like well over 15 assists for probably the last four or five years. Now, that's going to be impacted this year because he's had Haaland sticking him away for him. And Haaland will probably beat him, I would suspect, if I was going out on a limb to the player of the year, football writers player of the year and all the different awards. He's, he's already got football writers player of the year. It were announced today. Oh, was it? Who, who Haaland has? Haaland, yeah. No surprise, really, and you would expect that. Um, I mean, KDB is the... Normally, he has been the man that takes the headlines and the glory. This season, he's had to take a back seat, and he's the man that's feeding the Terminator, uh, the, the goals on a plate. Um, so you kind of expect that, but um has to go down as one of the, the greatest midfielders in Premier League history. 
got to be honest, I didn't watch either game uh, this week, uh, which is strange for me. I, I like my Champions League football. Um, you've got a fancy City to go through after taking a, a, a draw away uh, at the, um, the Bernabeu. I certainly think they will do the job at home. And it feels like their year, doesn't it? With Haaland, that final piece in the puzzle, they've often, they might have done five out of six uh, Premier Leagues uh, if they win it this year. But it's been the Champions League that long has eluded them and the and the uh, owners. I feel like this is their year. Um, so I feel like that, that will go to them. We had this rather strange second game of Milan-Inter and the Milan derby. Uh, Inter winning away 2-0 uh, and had a, a blinding opening 10 minutes, didn't they? They scored two goals. A uh, good one from Dzeko that you showed me. Not quite as good as you made out. I, would have I thought thought outstanding. Uh, outstanding ball. Fucking, Volleying it in from a yard out, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, very good technique. And we talked about him. A great, great player, great, great goal scorer over the years. Jacko deserves more plaudits when he was at City than he did get, and smashed him in for Roma for, for a number of years before going to Inter. And you get that rather strange example that Inter were the away team, so they now take a two-leg, two-goal lead to the home leg at the San Siro again. So <laughs> exactly the same again. It's a weird format, is that? It's a really nice ground in the San Siro, but yeah, really, really weird format going from a home game. Do you know how they did it with the fans? Because I was curious about this. I was was just, weirdly say that, I was just about to ask you. So presumably it works in the same way as a normal game would. I think the San Siro, from memory, and I don't know why I remember weird things like this, is is around a 70-odd thousand-seater stadium. So you would normally imagine in a normal game and allocation is going to be over 60,000 home fans probably you know there's going to be some seats left out in terms of that maybe five six seven thousand away fans presumably that happens so Milan had the majority of the fans this year uh, or this game and Inter had the minority and then that just gets swapped for the the next leg so it says just a quick google uh where the fans sit depends on whether the game is in quotations home or away as both sides have different away sections of the ground if Inter are the home team, Milan's away fans sit in the Curva Nord, which is the green seats, whereas Inter's away fans tend to be placed in the Curva Sud, which is the blue stand. So if you have a look at the pictures, you can see um, it's basically opposite sides. So one. It's always been one I'm desperate to go to. I've only been to Venice in Italy in my travelling career, which we covered on one podcast when I'd, I'd come back there. But I've been to... Um, Barcelona in the new camp, but I would love to go one day, certainly with the misses, to uh, the Milan and try and catch a game at the San Siro. It's always been one. I always, as a kid, um, Italy was the best, by far and away, the best league when I was a, a youngster. A Serie A, we had uh, Football Gazzetta Italia on a Sunday afternoon on Channel 4 with James Richardson. Uh, and I spent every Sunday of my childhood watching uh, Serie A and I loved Milan. Milan in those days, you had Rud Hullet, Paolo Maldini, uh, you know, Franco Baresi, just a litany of iconic players. So I've always had a soft spot for AC and I would love to uh, to go to the ground. I've got to be honest. I can't let you get away with finishing this episode without talking about the biggest event of the weekend, can I? <sighs> Depressed sigh when I know what's coming. Well, talk about the YouTube cuts? well, it's KSI 
versus Joe Fournier at Misfits number seven for the MF Cruiserweight title. I couldn't believe that they have their own belts. I mean, that is frankly ridiculous. As I say, we, we, we did have a little chat, didn't we, earlier in the day uh, prior to the podcast. And you mentioned this about to me and I was like, fucking Fournier, why do I know that name? Is, is, it like, is, is he not for David Hay? And you, you scoffed at me like, oh, like no, never. And then, and, and then we looked it up and there it was, wasn't it? That he, he, weirdly, so he has a 9-0 pro boxing record. Which Nine I KOs as he, well. I, I thought he was a fucking, in inverted commas, entrepreneur, which is basically a pervy rich nightclub owner, was my understanding of it. Um, and uh, yeah, he then had a um, exhibition match against David Hay in which he lost, in which David Hay should have been disgusted with himself that I remember it wasn't the greatest performance. But if you lose to a nightclub owner when you're the former WBA heavyweight champion of the world, you should be disgusted with yourself. So, um, but surely, I mean, KSI doesn't seem, and you correct me if I'm wrong, because you like this pretend boxing gay shit that fucking misfit <laughs> uh, seems to be. He doesn't seem to have progressed at the same level as someone like Jake Paul, who admittedly no. I think he's feeling, but at some point was... Again, we don't, I'm not his biggest fan. In fact, I fucking can't stand the man, Jake Paul. But you have to appreciate the hustle. And he was putting in the effort. And there was a significant increase at various aspects in terms of his career where he was clearly getting better. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I have, from what I've seen, I only remember KSI a while back. Because didn't he fight Jake Paul's brother, Logan? Yeah, so he's fought Logan Paul. Um, he has been fought... Embarrassed. Those two looked. I mean, that, I think that was, but wasn't that both their first ever boxing match? No. So his initial fight, and we're, we're talking way into the history of um, influencer boxing, which I'm sure obviously perks your interest constantly. Um, KSI initially fought uh, Joe Weller in a, a boxing match. This is before it all took off, and it were all a bit right. of a, a sham at that point. He had that fight. He then went on to fight Logan Paul. It was a draw. He fought Logan Paul a second time. Um, without head guards this time, and he beat him on a decision. He's gone to fight some other people. Pineda, who is a small Mexican, he fought Swarms. That was when he had the two fights in one night. At most right, right, uh, recent, you'll be obviously amazed to know that he beat uh, the very famous Faze Temper, spent, uh, spelt with three R's, that, that Temper, uh, who was uh, a late replacement for uh, Dylan Dennis. Because he pulled out, didn't he, at the end? I don't think he ever intended to actually have a fight. Has he ever named me a fight in the last five years that Dylan Dennis hasn't pulled out of? Yeah, exactly. Um, um, he's, I hope so... he pulls out of his bird as much. Otherwise, he's <laughs> knocking them up a lot. But all he does he do is pull out. But um... Joe Fournier is probably the most experienced, he clearly is the most experienced, quote-unquote, boxer that KSI has ever faced. But, and this is me being... I'm trying to be as legal as possible here. I think everyone in the fight knows which side of their bread is buttered, if that makes sense, and where I'm getting at there. Are you calling uh, it a fix? Are you uh, well, that? I wouldn't say, whoa. I'm just talking about bread and, and butter. But I, I think what you'll see is Fournier not necessarily pulling his punches, but not actually swinging at him. Um, What's the point? Be... If that is genuinely... The... Isn't in, in that case, then like, this this makes it more of a mockery of this nonsense than it even is. So I didn't. I was. I, I hate this shit. 
I try and avoid the watch Jake it. Paul watch fights, it tomorrow. But I get sucked in. The Misfits, I've never watched a moment of it apart from what you bring up to me. But that feels even more ridiculous if it's not even going to be... Like, basically, there's a little... By the way, Fournier, you're pretty dangerous. And actually, you're probably the best of these clownish influence boxers. You actually do have some boxing history and a pro record. But by the way, don't beat up the owner and let him take your title. That feels... Well, I'm not... Again... WWE. But again, I'm not saying that that is the case. And legally, I can't confirm that's the case, nor would I actually ever have any insider knowledge. But what I'm saying is I don't see any way that this ends with KSI winning every single, other than KSI winning every single fight and then fighting Jake Paul because there's a lot of money in that, isn't there? Um, If you watch any of KSI's fights, which I know you haven't, but if you watch any of his fights, he's got some power in his right hand, but... His form is in an absolute embarrassment, so much so that any professional boxer, like a proper professional boxer, would laugh at his... Um, it's just got like an incredibly telegraphed knockout punch. So he tries to overswing and, and it's just, it's embarrassing. What will happen is KSI will win this by decision um, because that's what is best for business. Um, and round-wise, what we're talking here, so just eight, ra- eight two-minute rounds? is it it's a good question actually i'm not entirely sure how they do it i'm sure it changes every single time um yeah i don't know i couldn't tell you um i, I can only apologize that seems to be for the, the influencer boxing they seem to drop a minute don't they to two minute rounds and the maximum seems to be eight as opposed to 12 in the pro ranks which again i can understand they're not pros I, i've got no issue with dropping the number of rounds I, I in fact i would say that's a sensible thing i'm not a big fan you know me i'm a bit of a purist i'm old school i'm an old man i like shit to be done properly so i'm if you do if you're boxing it should be a three minute round you could it's like i know let's get some semi-pro footballers and play 30 minutes a half no you fucks you're gonna play a full fucking 45 minutes that's what men's and women's Football is 45 for adults. It's 45 minutes a half. Don't drop rounds, drop time off it. So for me, I have to say the influence of boxing, I don't like when they drop it to two minute rounds. It should be three minute rounds. If that even dropped to six rounds, I, I'm cool with that. I've got no problem with that. But don't drop from three to two minutes. That's, I don't like that. I'll be honest. Some other things just to highlight, because I know that you'll definitely be watching this now that we've spoken about it. Um, Deji who is KSI's little brother, is on this card against a guy called Swarms, who KSI has previously fought. Um, Deji obviously coming off the back of uh, fighting Floyd Mayweather <laughs> exhibition. So um, obviously a, a great of the, the sport. Um, again, that'll be nonsense for Deji will win by decision. The one that I actually do want you to watch, with all joking aside, is Salt Pappy. He's fighting uh, Anthony Taylor. So Salt Pappy is probably about as an exciting fighter that you'll ever see on these cards. So everything else is nonsense. Everything else is a bit of a joke. Salt Pappy um, has like this weird KO power. <laughs> it's like, it's quite a large bloke. He's slimmed down a little bit, but he actually knocks people out and is really quick. And I've shown you a couple of his knockouts before. Um, I can't remember the people he knocked out because it's not like well-known people. But definitely have a look on YouTube at it. And if you can watch it, watch it just for this little, I think it's only like a three-round fight, but a little um, 
KO because I'm so I'm sure you'll see it and you'll enjoy it. Promise you. Okay, I, I, I tell you now, I won't watch it, but maybe I'll watch the YouTube of the South Poppy fight or whatever it's called. Do that then, yeah. That. Watch the the thing. The other fights, uh, quickly run through them because again, I'll, I'll let you predict them. Tennessee Thresh versus Pagey K. Okay, who's going to win? <laughs> I'm going to go for Tennessee Fresh. KO? No, because okay. It just needs uh, to be clear: is this male or female boxing? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even know. I don't, I don't want to be discriminatory. I don't even know what gender these. Yeah, it's, are. it's female. I've never heard. I've never even heard the people you're talking about now. So I've never heard. Don't lie. Don't lie. Either one uh, of them. No idea. Virus versus DK Money. <laughs> My money's on the money. He's got money in his name. I like it. Back I'm going. I, I disagree. Uh, Little Belze versus Lil Kimchi. They have to be women, I'm guessing. That they sounds, are women. Um, the second one sounds female. In um, the, the press conference, one of them threw a bottle at the other and then the other one responded by quite literally picking out a raw fish and launching it at her. I don't know where she got the fish from. I was going to say, where's your, who's taking a raw <laughs> fish to a fucking boxing conference? Like, where did that come? Bottle of water, I get. That's straight out of the, the Nate and Nick Diaz uh, moves. But um, I'm going to go the second one. I like a name. Little, just little whatever it was. Lil I'm, Kimchi. And last yeah. one, just because, and again, after this uh, has finished, after we stop recording, look these people up because I swear to God, if I don't get a text off you in the next 10 minutes saying, what the fuck? Wings of Redemption versus Boogie 2988. So I'll give you a bit of background very, very quickly. Wings uh, allegedly faked threats of suicide for views on his channel. Boogie has an assault charge and a form of blood cancer. So that's what he's most famous for. Both of them, and I'm not kidding when I say this, are probably uh, verging on... Who was that really fat wrestler years ago? Tugboat or Typhoon? Yes. So literally, I'm not kidding, heavier than those two. Um, there's no way that this goes the full length of the fight because there's no chance that they have the card to go needed for a minute or two or whatever it is of boxing. So, I reckon... All joking aside, on a side note here, I don't want really to get too sensible because obviously we're talking nonsense. Boo. Boo. Oh, let's be, let's be generous and not be not body shame them. From the sound of it too... Morbidly obese people, <laughs> one with blood cancer. How has he been cleared to fight a boxing match? Like, I'm because... not even joking. A morbid, morbidly obese minor Z-list celebrity with blood cancer should probably not be in a boxing fight. I want to try and see if I can see a, a cat. Can't find a picture. Oh, there we go. All right, let me just show you this picture of them. Jesus Christ. But who wants <laughs> to see that? Me? I don't, I, 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 they clearly haven't been training, have they? <laughs> but that's what you've got to look forward to tomorrow. And I'm sure um, you're very much going to sit there with your expensive looking room and enjoy every minute of it. Um, I'm going to go and I'm going to go watch because I think first uh, leg at playoffs of League One playoffs tonight, isn't it? I think it's uh, uh, Peterborough. I didn't realise that, but my posh mate, ironically the one we were saying about, is saying uh, up the posh. I've just got a little message. So, yeah, posh. Peterborough, uh, Wednesday. Wednesday at 8 o'clock. Yeah, so I better get off on it because we've got 10 minutes and got a table booked for 
eight o'clock in Ponty, which I'm oh, not yeah, going to make now. He's not talking about obese blood cancer boxers. Oh, you could have gone about 10 minutes ago. I've just got a message from Meg. It says, I have left you, you dopey prick. I am going to go to a restaurant on my own. So she hasn't really All said right. that. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's been a good, but... good week for relations, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, as always, thanks very much for listening and we'll speak to you next week.